Good morning. So we finally reached the end of the book of Acts. Uh, it's been a while. We actually began this back on September 6th, nine, or no, not 19, 2015. It's been a long time, right? <clears throat> Just 10 months ago. Uh, and so it's taken us 38 sermons to get to this point, which seems like a bunch at first until you realize that uh, I looked it up. So uh, Kevin DeYoung took 60 sermons and R.C. Sproul took 62. I'm neither of those guys, uh, but see how much more efficient we are? Uh, so what it is, though, is uh, 18,450 words of scripture that we've, we've covered, uh, which means that uh, based on the days that Jim's been alive, he could have read one word per day every day of his life and actually finished his book about a year and a half ago. So if you didn't feel old, there you go. Um, but we are now in uh, chapter 28. I want to give you a quick uh, summary coming up to this real quick version of it. And uh, so last thing we saw is uh, Paul is on his way to Rome and God has promised that he will get there safely and stand before Caesar uh, as a witness and along the way, there was an assassination attempt on his life, and they moved him over to Caesarea. And then he spent two years there in prison, unjustly, just waiting for something to happen. Uh, and then last week, we, we saw him get on a boat on his way to Rome, and this terrible storm comes, uh, and blowing them everywhere, and it ends in a shipwreck. Uh, and then this week, we're going to see where they arrive on an island and on their way to Rome. So... Um, for the, the sake of, of time today, I'm looking, uh, we're going to actually start reading in, in Acts 28, verse 17. But what happens before that, we'll go over uh, after, after we read. Uh, but essentially, there is a shipwreck. Uh, well, you already know that part. They arrive safely on the island, and we'll see all their interaction before they head off to, to Rome afterwards. So uh, Acts 28, verse 17, we'll begin there. <clears throat> after three days... He called together the local leaders of the Jews. Now, he's in Rome, okay? Uh, and when they had gathered, gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal before, to, to Caesar, Though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For the reason, therefore, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We've not received we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you and what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers from morning till evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he had said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed, and Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through, the, through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear. And in their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for these divinely inspired words uh, that tell the early story of how the good news of your death and your resurrection traveled from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, even to us where we are today. And so may we rejoice in the progress that has been made. Uh, May we be impassioned to be used of you to finish the Great Commission, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So to go back before that section, they landed on an island, and the island turned out to be named Malta, which means a place of refuge. Um, Malta is about 60 miles south of Italy, and if you know Italy, you know it's shaped like a boot. Uh, try to think of it like a soccer boot. And uh, it's, if it's uh, kicking a soccer ball, that soccer ball is Sicily, uh, and Malta then would be like a piece of dirt flying off the bottom of the soccer ball. Um, And so that's your geography lesson for today. Now you know where Malta is. And uh, when they arrived there, the the native people saw the sailors coming in, and it's wintertime, and it's cold, and it's wet, and so uh, they kindled a fire. They made a fire. Uh, And it's winter there, which means any snakes that are on the island are hibernating at this time, and yet as they're gathering sticks, Paul actually grabs up a bundle of sticks that includes a snake, and when they get to the fire, uh, this venomous snake bites onto Paul's hand. And Paul proceeds to shake shake, shake it off, uh, into the fire. See, you're all a bunch of closet Taylor Swift fans. I knew it. Uh, <clears throat> and so they, they then just assume that because the snake has bit him, he must, he must have been a murderer who has escaped from the ship. And this is some sort of divine justice. Now he's going to die from this snake bite. And so they just wait for Paul to die. And, and when he doesn't, they, they quickly reevaluate the way they're thinking through this. And, and they conclude if he didn't die from this, he must be a god. Um, which is quite a dichotomy there. He's either a murderer, or if he doesn't die, now he is a god. There's some area in the middle, right? Um, Truth is, Paul's not a god. He'll be the first to tell you that. Uh, But his god has worked a miracle in this situation to protect his life here uh, and thus keep the promise that Paul's going to arrive in Rome safely to stand before Caesar. So uh, this island, though, was under Roman control, and there was a leader on the island, and his name was uh, Publius, That's how I pronounce it. And he shows them this great hospitality. And as part of this, you know, Paul gets to know these people. They're talking back and forth. And he learns that this man's father has been sick. In fact, he's sick with dysentery. Uh, It's the first time I've heard that word since playing Oregon Trail in junior high. Uh, It's almost always the thing that would get you then. But uh, dysentery is an actual real thing. And it's an infection of the intestines. And so uh, internal infection. And one of the neat things here is we actually hear this diagnosis because Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, happens to be a doctor. So he's able to see this and not just be like, he's in pain. No, this is an actual diagnosis of what it is. Uh, Paul goes, he visits the sick man. He prays for the sick man. And and God heals the sick man when Paul lays his hands upon him. And uh, I love the situation. I love it because here's Paul with so much to be worried about. He's just survived a, a shipwreck. He's on an island on his way to maybe get the death penalty. And yet here he is getting to know these, these natives uh, well enough that this chief man actually invites him back to his house to meet his sick father uh, and to see him. 
And, and we see this, that, that Paul has this unique ability as an apostle of God in this era to actually heal people with this touch. And, and he goes there and he uses this ability uh, for the good of the people there. And then, uh, so they stay there three months in the winter. And once the, the, the weather begins to get better, they decide they're going to board a new ship and continue their, their journey to Rome. And they get on this ship. Uh, and the new one, our text tells us that there are, um, there are gods, false gods rather, carved into the front of the ship. It is Castor and Pollux, and these are the, uh, the patron saints of sea people. Not saints, I shouldn't have said that word. Uh, patron false gods of sailors, rather. And, and so then they, they sail off. And during this portion, I, I mentioned this just as a fun fact, uh, they actually sail through the Strait of Messina. Any of you recognize that? One of you? Okay. All of you had to read Odysseus at some point in your life, or the Odyssey, rather. And that's the place that Odysseus sails through, uh, a fictional depiction of that, that area. So uh, anyway, before reaching Rome, uh, they stop in an Italian city by the name of Putulio, Putelio, Putelli, something like that. Anyway, it means stink, and they named it that because it stunk, it smelled like sulfur. Um, eventually, they changed the name. You don't have to wonder why. Uh, so, anyway, when they arrive there, they find their brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is, this is huge. I don't know if we realize this, but uh, on some level, we see Paul going, and you kind of think the gospel goes nowhere before Paul, right? Uh, that as soon as he gets there, that's the first time anyone's ever heard the gospel. And, and yet they get to this place and they meet Christians because the gospel's already been there. It, it's come through unofficial missionaries. Maybe Aquila, you know, Aquila was originally from Italy. Maybe he went home with the gospel. Or, or, or maybe it's the name of Christians you and I have never heard because it's never been written down any place. Uh, and yet after they came to faith at some place in the world, off they go traveling and, and with them goes the gospel. And, and so as Paul arrives there, he's actually greeted by Christians. Um, uh, at this point, though, we do know that Paul has written a letter to Rome but what an encouragement at this town, still very far from Rome. He's meeting Christians along the way, um, and they get to have this time of mutual encouragement with each other. Um, and it's huge, because here are these strangers. You know, we think, you know, we at least, most of you we've met somehow, email or Facebook or something like that before we meet you. But absolute strangers just, just wander into each other, and they have one thing in common, faith in Christ. That's it. And here they are greeting each other, showing hospitality, treating each other like family. Oh, what a beautiful thing. And then Paul carries on, and he makes his way to Rome. And there when he gets to Rome, he's greeted by more Christians. The gospel has gone even before him. So uh, he gets there. Paul finds out he's going to stay alone. That's the way the, the, the text puts it. Uh, what that means is he doesn't have to stay in prison. They're going to let him stay in his own place. And there's a guard that follows him around every place he goes. Um, for and they keep changing shifts and this guy's going to follow him around everywhere and so uh, he gets there one of the first things he does is he tries to get ahead of, of what the issue is with the Jewish leaders he calls them all to himself uh, and we're told in verse 20 it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain and the Jews actually respond uh, the Jewish leaders rather respond with this okay tell us about this Christianity and this isn't a three minute presentation they spend all day all evening there. And Paul just begins to explain this. And the text says that he expounds to them what, what this means, uh, you know, what it means. And it tells us, uh, you know, so he's explaining the text. And what is he actually expounding? It's the scriptures, the law and the prophets. That's, that's the Old Testament in our Bibles, right? He's explaining Christ from the Old Testament. And verse 23 says specifically that he testifies regarding the kingdom of God. Um, and that's 
That's what we see over and over and over again in the history of the church. You remember, uh, uh, that's what Jesus did when the disciples, when, they, when we first began this book back in September last year. Remember Acts 1, verse 3? It says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after suffering by, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That's what they saw their Savior do. And, and now this, this phrase, the kingdom of God, what's interesting is he's looking in the Old Testament and speaking about the kingdom of God. And that's interesting because the kingdom of God is a very rare statement in the Old Testament. And yet that's where he's going to speak in this. And the reason is, is that what's not rare in the Old Testament is to speak of God as, as king, as ruler. Over and over, saturated throughout the Old Testament, is this speaking of, of God as king. And Jesus is the king. And that's why he speaks of the kingdom of God. That's why Paul speaks of the kingdom. He's saying the king that we've been waiting for, speaking to his Jewish brothers, um, is King Jesus. And, and he's more wonderful than we ever could have imagined him to be. And our passage then in verse 23 also says that Paul tried to convince them about Jesus. Um, we mentioned this last week, but that's something we need to have that mindset that we would actually seek to convince someone about Jesus. Um, we certainly don't want to be obnoxious, but on, on some level, uh, we need to get in our mind that we do want to convince people about Jesus. We're in an election year right now, and I know most of you aren't real excited about the options. Some of you are. Uh, but, you know, I love hearing people try to convince me to vote for Hillary or to vote for Trump uh, or even not to vote at all. It's one of those interesting things because uh, they don't just tell me this is my view, so see you later. Um, there's this sense that they want to convince you to actually hold their view and, to, uh, and they believe that if you do so, it has value for, for them individually, value for our nation as a, uh, as a whole. And, and I, I kind of wonder, would we be more passionate to want to convince people to believe in Jesus if we really understood just how important it is that someone believe? How important it is for the sake of their own souls and how important it is for the sake of the kingdom of God? See, it's, it's not just that, that Jesus is, is interesting. It's that you really, truly need Jesus in the same way that you need blood just flowing through your veins to, to continue to live, right? He's, he's that important. Uh, and I know, you know, some of us are thinking right now, well, that's, it's God who gives faith, not me. Uh, and you're right. It is God who gives faith, not you. Um, but who knows that better than the Apostle Paul, right? Who knows that, that fact of the sovereignty of God and, and, and salvation better than the Apostle Paul? And, and yet, that never led him to be dispassionate, uh, you know, or dispassionately to just lay out the facts about Jesus and be like, and so whatever. Uh, you know, in fact, it's the very thing that has fueled this boldness to keep persuading people, even when it seems like an absolute long shot. And that encourages me. I mean, personally, I find it encourages me to keep patiently uh, trying to persuade unbelieving family members or unbelieving fr friends here in town uh, to, to hope and to find rest in Jesus Christ. And now, Paul had a foundation of the Old Testament to build upon with these Jewish leaders. Uh, in our context, United States, 2016, we rarely actually have that context. Uh, they might know some Sunday school songs or something, but very little. Uh, and, and so there's this aspect, it's a good thing to remember, there might be a time... Uh, when you are telling someone about Christ that you need to go back and explain the Old Testament a little bit so they understand this, this hope for a coming king, a, ho a coming Messiah, uh, you know? And, and that's an important thing. So um, 
So Paul spends his entire day presenting Jesus. How many of you have spent an entire day just presenting to people about Jesus? A couple of you. All right. Awesome. Most of us haven't, right? It's a few minutes here and there, and then you kind of think, well, what happened? Uh, so he spends an entire day, and what are the results here? Well, some were convinced, and some were not convinced. That's almost always the actual case. Some were convinced and some were not convinced. In fact, when, when anyone hears the word of God, including each of us today, we are either moving towards sanctification as we believe it, as we love it, as we seek to conform ourselves to it, or, or we are moving further away from it, right? Towards hardness of heart, where we don't believe God's word, rejecting it, uh, and removing ourselves further and further from the word of God. That's the way people respond, one or the other. Very little does anyone hear and do nothing. Uh, and, and then Paul just ends their time with this, applying this quote from the prophet Isaiah to those who, who reject the good news. Um, it, w- it would have been really offensive, really, um, because they knew this quote, and, and yet he's saying this is about you, this quote. Um, he's saying you hear, you have ears, right? But you don't understand. And, and you see, but you don't know what you're looking at. And because your heart is dull and your, and your, your ears and your eyes, they do not work. And, and if they did work, you, you would repent and God would heal you, but they don't. And it's, we've seen Paul do this before. Um, you know, he tells them that this gospel has come first to you Jews. And, and now that you have rejected, it's going to go to the Gentiles. And Paul has this confidence that the Gentiles will actually receive it. Um, and it's, it's like they're absolutely oblivious to this, Right? Uh, they don't even care. Um, just oblivious to what's going on. When I, when I was a kid, my, my brothers and I would go on these, these hunting trips. Um, and, and one time we were out and there was this old man, like even older than Jim. Uh, I'm talking like 75, 80 years old. And, but he was still out. He could drive this truck. And, and my oldest brother, we're walking up and he's taking us to this deer stand. And my oldest brother has his rifle on his shoulder, kind of pointing over his shoulder. Uh, I think that's the right way to do it. And, and we're all walking, and suddenly my brother's rifle goes off, just this huge noise. Um, and, and the barrel of the gun is like two feet from this guy's head. It went off right next to him. And, um, and it was so loud. My ears hurt. My adrenaline's pumping. I'm, you know, we're all kind of wondering, are we dead? Uh, and, and it's just this, this stressful moment. And suddenly the old man just turns around and says, shh, you want to try to keep it down, or you might scare off the deer. Um, <laughs> And then he turns around again and starts walking, and, and the four of us are just kind of bug-eyed looking at it like... Because um, somehow this man had just missed this incredibly huge thing happening two feet from his head. That's, that's the Jews here. Uh, they've just rejected the hope of Israel. They as a people, as individuals, have been waiting their entire lives for this to happen. And, and yet here they are, they are absolutely oblivious to the significance of this. They don't even care. And when you realize that this is history, this is not just some story someone wrote, but actual history, it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Because there's your Savior and you just walked away. And so we, we learn after that then that Paul spends two years in Rome just um, showing hospitality to everyone who, who visits him. And, and what did he do those two years, right? Well, he welcomes those who come to him. 
I love that it put that. That's such a little thing. But he welcomes those who come to him. You know, as a, a church in a transient town, we too have the privilege uh, of meeting many new individuals and families that are, uh, that are coming to us. And I hope that we never grow tired of welcoming people uh, with open arms, whether they be believers or not. You know, as a, a body, I, I think we've done it very well so far, uh, and, and that's not because we have some program. There's no system set up to do this. It's because many of you have been willing to get out of your, uh, your comfort zones. Many of you have been willing to initiate conversations in this building when you see someone new. Uh, many of you have been willing to invite people into your lives for meal and fellowship of all various sorts. And, and my prayer is that, uh, or for us rather, very often, is that we never lose that sense of hospitality. It's a beautiful thing. Um, okay, so as this book comes to an end here, we're, we're told again that Paul spends his time proclaiming the kingdom of God. That's another time we see it here. Uh, and, and again, that's also what John the Baptist was doing. Remember back in, in Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist was saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, Jesus Christ himself, at the beginning of his, his earthly ministry, uh, his public ministry in Matthew four seventeen, he says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he often speaks in parables about the kingdom of God, right? Um, we certainly can't unpack them all here, but he said the kingdom of God is like a small and a narrow road. It's like a mustard seed, and it belongs to children, and it's like a treasure hidden in a field, or like a net that's been thrown into a sea. And, and there's so many other parables that Jesus uses to paint this picture uh, of the kingdom of God, who we who are in Christ are now citizens of. And, and so we're continuing to proclaim that kingdom still today. And that's why, even in the Lord's Prayer that we we'd said earlier, right? Thy kingdom come. We are looking... Um, to God's kingdom, even as it continues to expand now to, to new nations, to new people groups, to, to new generations even, uh, as we continue to proclaim the kingdom of God and, and, and the eternal King Jesus. Um, our text also says that Paul taught about the Lord Jesus with boldness and without hindrance. Boldness, understand this, sometimes we confuse this. Boldness does not mean a personality type. Uh, it's not this super extrovert type A. Uh, it is simply a, a someone who can give a clear explanation uh, of Christ even when there's reason to fear, reason to fear socially or, or otherwise. Um, and so then the last thing we learn here in Acts is, is that the gospel was preached without hindrance. Um, that's an odd phrase considering the situation, right? Paul is in chains when he says this. There's a guard following him around every place he goes. It seems like that would be a whole lot of hindrance. And, uh, you know, I think we can better understand this. We consider, uh, Paul writes about this, 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9, uh, about the situation. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And get this, listen. But the word of God is not bound. Paul is in chains, yes, but the gospel cannot be shackled. Simply cannot be shackled. And so then, bam, the book ends just like that. Um, this ending is kind of unsettling. It, it feels a little bit like those, those independent movies that I hate so much. You know, the ones where you've been watching for a while, uh, every once in a while we'll get one and you learn about these characters and the storyline and, and then suddenly you're wondering well, what's going to happen next and then the credits flow and you're like what is this? Did, did they get married? 
Uh, you know, did they catch the murderer? Did they get him? Uh, was it really just a dream? Are you just watching this? You're just thinking, did they run out of budget halfway through the script? What, what is this? Um, and so here, we've been waiting for Paul to stand before Caesar, right? We've committed many chapters to this moment, and, and it just ends. Did he stand before Caesar? Was he set free? Was he found guilty? What happened to him? And, you know, what did he say? And it doesn't tell us. That can be frustrating. Now, I'll, I'll tell you from other historical sources that I can tell you that Paul did stand before Caesar. He was found innocent and he was set free. It's believed after that that uh, he ministered in Greece and Crete and Asia Minor, and he even made it as far as, as Spain ministering. Uh, however, a, a later date came that he was imprisoned once again in Rome uh, under Nero uh, because the Christians were blamed for a fire that burned down almost the entire city of Rome. And, and this time, many Christians paid the price. Uh, Paul it was believed to be executed by Nero sometime around 64 AD, just a few years after this event, uh, where, we're, and the, where the book ends. And since Paul was a Roman citizen, he could not be crucified. Uh, and so it is believed that his, his head was chopped off by an executioner. Uh, and today, Paul is in the presence of his Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, we also never learn what happened to, to the Apostle Peter, right? We journeyed with him for a while. In fact, the last 25 years of Peter's life, we don't learn anything. Where, where's he been? What's he been doing? We don't know. He's not even mentioned. And again, historical records tell us that Peter was also executed, but um, Peter was not a Roman citizen, which meant he could be crucified. And in fact, it says that he pleaded to be crucified upside down, finding himself unworthy to be put to death in the same manner as his Savior. Um, it's a gruesome end. And yet, Peter is well today in a very, very real thing. I think we need to realize it's not just a story, it's real, is in the presence of his Savior, Jesus Christ. But it still raises the question, why, why this independent film ending to Acts, right? Uh, and I'll tell you, I hate it when movies go that way. I just, they should be thrown away so no one else falls into this problem. But, but I love the way that the book of Acts ends. And I, and I love it for this. And, and the reason I love it, the simple answer for why this book ends like it is, is because it's not really about Peter or Paul. It's not. Acts is about God taking the gospel to his people wherever they might be. Acts is about Christ, about his sacrifice on the cross, about the gospel of Jesus that brings all who trust in him forgiveness of sin. It's my story. It's your story. Uh, you know, our, our stories are also about Christ ultimately, about the gospel changing us daily and about uh, go, as we're going forward, you know, uh, seeking the Lord and, and sharing the hope of the nations with all who will ask or listen. And so now it's, it's not easy to summarize 30 years of history written in 28 chapters. Uh, but I do want to close with just briefly considering a few things we've learned in this book. First, Jesus is a glorious, glorious Savior. And that's true for all people everywhere who trust in him. Jew and Gentile, adult and child, man and woman, sinners of every variety who repent and look to Jesus by grace through faith for the forgiveness of sin. Second, we've learned that God keeps his promises. Um, all that he said would happen has happened, every little bit of it. Christian, it's important that you really understand that. I think one of our biggest struggles is to really believe God, to believe his promises, um, and understand that that's true for us. You know, all that God says will come true, and we can trust that. Uh, Jesus will return. We will have a heavenly dwelling place. Our salvation is secure in Jesus. Um, third, 
We've learned that um, it is God, not us, who works faith in the hearts of individuals, and yet we have been given the joyous task uh, of spreading the gospel seed from which faith sprouts up and grows. Um, we saw that, that Jesus sends his disciples to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, that was his stated goal. Remember Acts 1-8, the very first week we got, we, we got into this? Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what I love is that when those words were spoken by Jesus to the disciples, uh, at that actual moment, Paul was actually an enemy of God who was out persecuting Christians, seeking to have them put in prison and killed. And here we are at the end of the book, and we see just how far the gospel has come, uh, just how far it has made it. It has made it into the heart of Paul, and it has made it to the city of Rome, which as far as a, a Jerusalem Jew at this time was concerned, was the ends of the earth. Now that's, that's not the same as saying the Great Commission has been completed. It hasn't. Uh, it's a much bigger project than we might even realize because it's necessary not only to cross the globe, which I think we understand, but to cross generations. And that makes it a little tricky, right? Um, what I mean is, uh, how many ever played the game Risk? Okay, most of you are good. It's still a good game, right? Um, <clears throat> you ever found yourself trying to control Asia, right? And you think you have Asia, and then it's gone. And then you think you have Asia again, and it's gone again. Uh, that's kind of like it is. Sometimes on the earth, there are places the gospel has saturated, where the people group has been reached, and then over time, uh, something changes over it. And, and that's a place we're going to go back to. Um, that's the way to see. You never thought risk would teach you about the Great Commission, right? Um, and, and so that's where it is, you know. So now uh, we've been here three years in Manhattan. This church has been uh, started three years ago just about. And, and I have this, this love-hate relationship with the transient nature of this town. Um, I love, the love part is I, I love how many college students we get who are trying to figure out life, who are growing and changing in that way. Uh, I love that we get so many amazing people through the Army who are stationed here. Um, but I hate that we have to say goodbye to people that we love so often. Hate it. I wish we could be like a bucket. You come in and then you'd never leave, right? Uh, <clears throat> but the upside of this, the upside is this. When, when students and, and soldiers and, and their families who we've had the joy of nurturing and ministering to each, to each other and with and beside and all that, uh, <clears throat> when they leave here, they carry with them the most powerful message in all the world. They carry the gospel with them. Um, and that's good for the church. Capital C, church. Good for the church, for the kingdom of God. Uh, and it's similar for those who, who have roots here, right? Your ordinary life of faith has real eternal implications. Um, and, I, and I mean this because really, understand, you know, I am vocationally in ministry, but, but non-ministry vocations and callings are the key to the spread of the gospel. And I say that because our vocations and community involvement are, are the chief way that we bring our faith into the world. Um, and let me, you know, it, uh, which really fleshes out for us Colossians 3.23, which says, whatever you do, work heartily as, as for the Lord. Because you are, in a, in a very real sense, whatever it is we do, it is for the Lord. It is for his glory. It is for the Great Commission. And, and so our, our hope and, and goal as a church is to teach you to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to love our, our neighbor as ourself. Uh, whether you stay in Kansas for the rest of your days or, or just for the next few days. Um, Okay, so um, finally we've learned this, that the word of God is sufficient to do the work of God. You understand what that means? It means that we are 
faithful to, um, to proclaim the gospel message. It means that we are passionate in our desire to see the lost be saved. And, and yet it means that the weight of the world is not on your shoulders. Because the weight of the world is on the shoulders of our mighty God. And so we close the book of Acts today. Uh, but not the story of redemption. Uh, as God continues to write new chapters of hope and, and salvation, as, as the work of redemption applied to the souls of men, women, and children marches forward. That's a beautiful thing. Um, like the things we've been reading and learning, that's an ongoing thing. And I'll just remind you one last time before we pray is this, that, that the gospel message that went out at this moment, right? Jesus says, go and, go and take it to the ends of the earth. Somehow that's how you came to believe. Somebody wrote it down somewhere. Someone told their grand, grandchild. Someone told someone who wandered into their, uh, their neighborhood. And it went out and it went out, out across the globe 2,000 years until eventually that came to you. There is this link all the way back to that. And we have the joy of being part of that going forward. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this crazy book. Uh, the way it has shown us just how glorious you are and how far-reaching your love for your people is. We ask that you would use us as a church and as individual Christians to continue the Great Commission in the nations and the cities and the homes that you have us in today and wherever it is you might lead us in the future. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.